From our 21st century perspective, Ezekiel has got to be one of the strangest people we meet in the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong, Ezekiel comes to his people with important things to say, life and death things. It's just that the way he says them is unconventional. Prophets come with messages that are unsettling. It's what prophets do. They come with bad news and then good news. Something is coming to an end and God is bringing something new to life. The prophets announce big changes, sometimes painful changes. Ezekiel, though, doesn't come and just speak his prophecy. He acts it out. He embodies the message. Ezekiel lives out God's news for the people in his flesh and bones. Ezekiel's way of prophesying is more than a little unusual. But first, we have to set the scene. We've got, to, we've got to picture Ezekiel and his community in what is essentially a refugee camp. The people of Israel are at war, and they are getting hammered. The Babylonian Empire has crushed them and taken prisoners. The empire has carried off the best of the best, the royalty, the craftsmen and the craftswomen, the priests. They're all living in a refugee camp in Babylon, and they are cut off from their people back home. The only hope of this refugee people is that Jerusalem, their city, has not fallen yet. But God calls Ezekiel to bring the news. Jerusalem is going to fall. The old ways, the ways that have harmed far too many people for far too long, the old ways are coming to an end, period, full stop. There is better news on down the road, but for now, the news is hard. Jerusalem is going to fall. Ezekiel, go tell the people. Ezekiel is called, as one writer says, to be a traumatized witness to an already traumatized people. So here's what Ezekiel does. Now, maybe we should have known that something about Ezekiel is different. At the very, very start, when God first calls Ezekiel to be a prophet, God hands Ezekiel a scroll. The words rolled up in a scroll, um, a scroll with the word of God written on it. And Ezekiel eats it. He eats the scroll. Maybe that means that for Ezekiel, God's word is now part of his whole being, but that is the story. Ezekiel eats the scroll. And then he goes to deliver the news. God tells Ezekiel to let himself be tied up bound up, physically bound up inside his house to show the people the reality of living in bondage. And Ezekiel's community watches as that happens. Then when he gets untied, Ezekiel goes into the middle of the refugee camp and draws Jerusalem on this clay tablet. Then, then he lays siege to the clay tablet. All around that clay tablet, Ezekiel builds camps and battering rams and puts them all around the, the clay tablet it signifies the siege of Jerusalem. Babylon has the city surrounded. And then, Scripture says, Ezekiel lies down on his side next to the clay tablet, and he lies there for 390 days. That's to mark the number of years that Israel has lost his way. Then, after 390 days, Ezekiel rolls over and lies on his other side. He lies on his other side for 40 days, to signify the 40 years of captivity that these refugees will experience. Now, keep in mind, all this is happening in the middle of this refugee camp. It's like Ezekiel is a street preacher. 
Ezekiel's community walks by Ezekiel every day, watching him live out his prophecy. After these 430 days are over, Ezekiel gets up and shaves his head. He takes a third of the hair and he burns it to represent the destruction of Jerusalem. He takes another third of his hair and he scatters it in the wind. This represents the community scattered by war. And he takes the final third of his hair and tucks it in his belt. This represents the remnant, the remnant of the community that may, may survive. Now, I promise I'm not making any of this up. This is how Ezekiel tells the people in captivity that Jerusalem is going to fall. He acts it out. For Ezekiel, just speaking the words is not enough. He lives out the word of God. He brings the word of God to the people in flesh and bones. In Ezekiel, that word comes to life. And then the day that the people dread comes. A lone runner arrives with the news and runs into the center of the camp. Out of breath, the runner says those three words that the people have feared so long. Jerusalem has fallen. It has been burned to the ground. And this refugee people, weary from war, cry out, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. In this morning's scripture, God hears and answers their cry. It's not surprising that, like Ezekiel's prophecies of impending doom, his prophecy of hope is also a story of flesh and bones. In the vision in this morning's scripture, God takes Ezekiel and sets him down in the midst of a valley full of dry bones, a place of utter desolation. And God asks Ezekiel this question around which the whole scripture, this whole scripture hinges. Mortal, can these bones live? In the midst of this utter desolation of this valley of your world, in the midst of utter des desolation, can these bones live? And there's an answer to that question that Ezekiel dares not speak. These bones, these bones are dusty, dry, and dead. Can these bones live? Come on. But instead, Ezekiel responds to God's question. God, you know. And then God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the dry bones. Tell these dry bones that God says this. I'm going to put you back together. I'm going to attach these dry bones bone to bone with tendons. I'm going to put flesh on these bones and I'm going to cover them with skin. And then, then I'm going to breathe life into these bones and they will live. Go ahead, Ezekiel. Prophesy to these bones. Ezekiel does as he's told. He prophesies to the bones. Dry bones, this is what God says, come to life. And it happens. There's a sound, a rattling, and Ezekiel sees the bones start to come together, bone to bone, tendons, flesh, skin, a restored but still lifeless multitude of people. And then God tells Ezekiel to summon the winds. Ezekiel, tell the winds to breathe life into these dry bones. And Ezekiel does, and the bones, the bodies come to life of multitude standing in that valley alive. And then God explains. The dry bones are the exiled people of Israel. 
they have heard the news and they've cried out in despair. Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. And the question is, can these bones live? And God answers God's people in flesh and bones. Yes, yes, my people, you will live. And God breathes the breath of life back into God's despairing people. Even though this embodied prophetic vision may sound wild and strange to 21st century ears, I, I don't think it's that hard to envision the places of desolation we see and know in our world. Ezekiel's Valley of Dry Bones is likely a battlefield scene. That's likely what it is. All those bodies laying in the field, the wreckage of violence and war. About a month ago, I saw All Quiet on the Western Front. It's the, the remake of the 1930s movie about the carnage and senselessness of World War I, with its haunting images of that brutal trench warfare, the battlefield strewn with bodies just left out in the barren expanse between the trenches while the fighting goes on. For the past year, we have seen the devastation in Ukraine, the relentless bombing, the buildings in ruins, millions of people fleeing for safety, tens of thousands of people killed. Imagine the desolation there. Ezekiel's vision is like imagining the bodies of those battlefields coming to life. Imagine those who have defended their homeland rising up and coming home to their families, their families returning from exile. Imagine Russian tanks in retreat. Imagine the rebuilding of buildings, the rebuilding of a nation and a life. Imagine a return of sanity to the leadership of the nations. What will peace and rebuilding look like? What is that vision? God brings Ezekiel into a valley full of dry bones, into the desolation the world has wrought, and asks Ezekiel the question upon which everything depends. Can these bones live? This week, we also can't help but think of the latest urgent warnings of the desolation we are bringing to our planet as, once again, like a broken record no one wants to hear, the UN intergovernment Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, has issued a report with stark climate facts and dire projections for the future. The IPCC reports that we've passed the threshold of one degree Celsius in global warming, and we're heading swiftly towards 1.5 degrees. We're likely to reach that benchmark early in the next decade, early in the 2030s. Already, the world is experiencing an increasing number of extreme weather events, drought, record-breaking storms. We know what that looks like. Extreme weather events have displaced 13 million people. Roughly half the world's population faces at least seasonal water scarcity. At 1.5 degrees warming, they project even more freshwater scarcity, crippling heat waves, coastal flooding, and crop failures that will threaten the world's food supply. The UN Secretary General calls the latest report an atlas of human suffering. An atlas of human suffering and a damning indictment of failed climate leadership. If we listen to these repeated warnings, really listen, we can envision the desolation that is already here and also on its way. Can we imagine? Imagine the radical action that the UN and climate scientists insist is necessary for survival. 
Imagine the love, courage, and compassion it will take to live in our new realities if even a part or all of this collapse unfolds. Can we begin to see that vision? God brings Ezekiel into a valley full of dry bones, into the desolation the world has wrought, and asks Ezekiel the question upon which everything depends. Can these bones live? Ezekiel's vision is indeed big. And at the same time, it is personal. We see the places of desolation in our world. We know the places of desolation in our own lives. The hurt, the ache, the sorrow. We've known what that question can feel like in our flesh and our bones. Can these bones live? In the vision in this morning's scripture, God asks the question and God answers the question. Not right away, but in a very particular way. And with, with what we know of Ezekiel, maybe we shouldn't be surprised. God answers the question by putting it in, putting the answer in Ezekiel. God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel responds, God, you know. And God says, Ezekiel, you prophesy. Prophesy to these bones. Call the four winds from the corners of the earth together. Together we will call these bones to life. And the bones come together and flesh and the winds, the spirit breathes breath into dry bones and the bones live. God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel responds, God, you know, and with all that follows, God essentially says, oh, I know, I know. But Ezekiel, I need you to know. A few months ago, Herman and Mary gave me a book that I've just started to read, Roman Krasnerik's book, The Good Ancestor, A Radical Prescription for Long-Term Thinking. In our conversations here at First Press and Selma, we're talking about the reality of climate collapse, the results of our rampant consumption and our wasting ways already in progress. Into that, into that conversation, Krasnarek suggests that we turn to a question first voiced by Jonas Salk. Are we being good ancestors? In the lives we are living now, are we being good ancestors to those who will inhabit this earth after us, the generation that will follow us, and then the next, and then the next, and then the next? Krasnarek argues that in a world full of existential threat, it is no longer enough to be just a good Samaritan. We must also be a good ancestor. And what that means, Chris Narek explains, is that we must embrace long-term thinking, very long-term thinking. We have to look up from our screens, from our phones, from the immediate impulses of our momentary lives and look and live toward the far horizon of future lives, the lives of those who will follow us. What that looks like, and there's, there's so much more to Chris Narek's book, but what, what that looks like is that we embrace what he calls a deep time humility. We see that we are but an eye blink in cosmic time. Time is vast, embracing so many lives, ours, and so many beyond ours. 
then we begin to think of the legacy we will leave to the generations that follow, casting that vision at least seven generations out. And then we seek justice now for those future generations, insisting on the same justice we value in this moment for all people right here, right now, but for all people at any time, no matter when they are or will be born. And then Chris Dark suggests that we undertake projects, big projects, bigger than our lifetimes that begin to build that just world. We, we imagine broadly multiple paths so we're not surprised as the world unfolds. And we set a goal that is nothing less than the healing and health of a world. The healing and health of a world thousands of years forward. We become good ancestors for the billions of lives that will flow out from our own. In that valley of dry bones, the bones come to life. And I think I've always assumed that the bones are meant to be the people in that refugee camp, the folks in exile to whom Ezekiel will first report this vision. But what if, what if the bones that come to life are not only their bones, what if the life breathed into that valley is the life of the generations that will follow, the life of those who will eventually make their way back to Jerusalem, the life of those who will crawl over the rubble and begin to rebuild brick upon brick, the life of those who will remember what it is to live in relationship to God, restored, rebuilt, revived. What if the life breathed into that valley is the life of seven generations and beyond reaching all the way to us? And then even further, Ezekiel's vision is of life that big. And it comes to life in that valley, in Ezekiel, in the people, in flesh and bones. Next Sunday, We'll gather for worship on Palm Sunday, and we will begin our journey into Holy Week. We will travel together as Jesus turns the tables in the temple and confronts the powers. We'll gather together on Maundy Thursday as Jesus washes the disciples' feet and shares a meal, and then is betrayed, arrested, tried, flogged, and crucified. We will stumble our way to Good Friday, and with those who followed and loved Jesus, we will ask together at the foot of the cross, hope against hope, and these bones live. And in the desolation of those days, remembered once again in our dry bones, we will hear the echo of Ezekiel's plea, God, you know. And we'll hear the whisper of God's response as quiet as the very breath we are breathing. Oh, my beloved, I know that I know. I need you to know. I need you to know in your flesh and your bones so that together we will find your way to life.